Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad you're back with us today. Today, we continue our series on Nick Cage. Our summer blockbusters. Yeah, except this one's not quite a summer blockbuster. Not so much, but it's still Nick Cage, and that gives it that feel. That's right. Matchstick Men. That's what we're here to talk about today. It wasn't technically a summer blockbuster because it came out in September of 2003. And... Summer technically ends September 23rd on the autumnal equinox, but our blockbusters typically come out sometime in spring, actually, because spring doesn't actually start until June 21st. You know, spring Wait, blockbusters, summer blockbusters. Spring doesn't start until June. Oh, 21st? no, I said that completely wrong. Okay. <laughs> I was like, no, summer doesn't start until June 21st. Okay, so it's still spring at the beginning of June. Gotcha. Or Memorial Day at the end of May when a lot of quote unquote summer blockbusters often come out. Sometimes they come out 4th of July. Right. Very often they come out Memorial Day weekend. They're the summer blockbuster. Summer actually hasn't started yet. So technically, technically this has come out in summer, but it was September. So we generally regard that as fall. True. Yeah. True. But it just, it kind of has that feel a little bit without the action. You know, it's more of those, I don't know, those Benny and June kind of movies, you know, that are just, you know, big movies, but maybe not action oriented. Right. Yeah. Right. We usually think of big movies as either Oscar nominees, which is usually a drama, mm-hmm. unless it's specifically for a comedic category, or it's an action movie. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. We like the actions. Yeah. The explosions. That's fine. So this is starring, obviously, Nick Cage as Roy Waller. Then it's got some really other great actors. Sam Rockwell plays... Frank Mercer, he was in the Green Mile and Cowboys and Aliens and a bunch of other stuff. Allison Lohman played Angela. She was in White Oleander, which I read that book and only sort of liked it. And I kind of only sort of liked the movie, but it was one of those, like, kind of glad I read it for, like, book club or something. Oh, okay. It's weird. Yeah, I, I'm really not familiar with the book or the movie, and yeah. I'm really not familiar with her. Oh. I was looking through all her movies, and I'm looking at them going, Yeah, Drag I'm... Me to Hell is the other big one that she's done. Yeah. I mean, and she was in Big Fish, but that was like a small part, I think. And Beowulf, which I really didn't see. No. I mean, she's in a lot, but I just apparently... Don't watch the movies that she's in. <laughs> the kind of movies she's typically in are not ones you typically watch. I guess not. No, so okay. I didn't know her at all. Um, and then we have uh, Bruce Altman as Dr. Klein. Man, he's had he's been in a lot of stuff. Yes, he has. He's lots of small parts on television. He played several different characters on Law & Order. He was in Blue Bloods. He did have a role where he also, I believe, played a doctor in Girl Interrupted. Oh, was he in that? Yes. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah. Like a lot. I like yeah. that movie. Hmm. We have Bruce McGill, another one that you've seen this guy. He plays uh, Chuck Freschetti. He was in Animal House, MacGyver, more recently Rizzoli and Isles. Yeah, lots of lots of stuff. He's a very, very familiar face. And then there was a bit part that I was thought I'd be remiss if I didn't mention her, Beth Grant played the laundry lady. 
Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And she's a character actor who's been in a ton of stuff. She did have a, usually she plays like bit parts. She had a bit part in uh, The Office. Um, she had a small part in Donnie Darko. But she had a, a, a real regularly reoccurring role in The Mindy Project. And she has been consistently working since 1979. Yeah, she's uh, quite amazing. Yeah. I have to say, every time I encounter her, she's a bad guy. Oh. And she's terrifying. Oh, she's um, not terrifying in the office. No, and I really haven't seen her in the office because... She's, she's Dwight's former babysitter and occasional date slash uh, hookup partner. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You can't see You're, my face right yeah, now, but, but it's a face. What? All right. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. that's exactly where we're at. Um, yeah, but she does play a lot of bad guys. Yeah, um, and criminal she's minds. She's really good at it, but she's really good at the funny stuff too. Well, and I gotta go watch that because she's terrifying to me. And when I saw her face on the screen, I was like, Oh, oh something no. bad's gonna happen. Oh no! But then she was absolutely delightful, and I was like. Aw, it's good to see her like that instead of, like, pushing bodies into crematoriums. You know, it's just crazy. All right, then. It was directed by Ridley Scott. You know, just a powerhouse. Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, The Martian, a long litany of others. Those were the ones that I was, like, most familiar with. Right. I I should mention these, but... Really very impressive. Uh, it wasn't a huge box office success. It did open number two its opening weekend, but it had a $62 million budget, which I'm not sure what they spent $62 million on. Nick Cage? Probably. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm like, they must have had to pay him a lot of money. But it made worldwide $65.5 million. Oh. So it came out positive. But not by much. But not by it, not by industry standards. This was not a huge commercial hit. No. But those are those details. Shall we recap this bad Let's boy? Let's recap this bad boy. <laughs> All right. So there's spoilers. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this movie from 16 years ago, then you know if you're don't want it spoiled for you. Go back and watch. Go watch it and then come back. Yeah. And then while you're at it, go listen to an old podcast of ours. You know, no reason to give up. Just go listen to something else. Go watch the movie and then come back to this one. That's that's right. Mm -hmm. Or you can just let us recap it for you and then you don't have to watch it at all. I love it. I think that's that's fair. Stay with us. That's fine too. You can stay with us. You don't have to go watch the movie to be able to enjoy this. So... We start out, there's this well-kept home occupied by a man, Nicholas Cage, uh, who does things in threes. He opens doors while counting in different languages three times. He winks three times. Then he takes a pink pill. And then we cut to another man who's on the phone. This is Sam Rockwell. He's talking to a woman about a fabulous prize that she's won. And in order to avoid paying taxes on it, she can buy a quote-unquote, deeply discounted water filtration system for just $398. He tells her it costs twice that in the store. And we see while he's talking to her that it has a tag for $49.99 on it. He bought it at a hardware store for very little money. Nicolas Cage arrives, and it's clear that these two men are partners. Then 
we see them at house and they're posing as federal trade commission agents at the home. It's a different person, but it's the same scam. They've also sold this woman this water filtration system because she wanted a trip, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she wanted to surprise her husband with a trip, so she ended up giving them $700. This is how we know it's a different person Mm -hmm. because they were only charging the other lady $400. This woman lost this amount of money. Her husband's upset. He wants to catch the criminals who did this, ends up signing over their bank account to these two men. Right, because they're going to go catch these criminals. They're going to go catch the criminals. I mean, that's quite a scam to be a bookend. I mean, you get them on the front end, and then you get them on the back end. Like, whoo. Yeah. That's nightmarish. It is nightmarish and devilishly smart. Yes. Oh, so evil, though. It's so annoying. So then we have Cage's mental issues. We see these coming to light We saw that he had OCD, but then he was like totally afraid of the outdoors and hyperventilating and he has facial and verbal tics. Then we learned Rockwell's character's name is Frank and he tells Roy, Cage's character, uh, about a mark, a victim that's ripe for a long con. And Roy says he's not interested in the long con anymore. He's done them in the past. He only wants to do short cons. Roy smokes a lot. And seems to exclusively eat tuna. And we understand. <laughs> Jackie's making a face. Like, yeah, I like me some tuna. Occasionally. A lot of tuna. It was a lot of tuna. It was like six cans of tuna and eight packs of cigarettes. I mean, how it's is a, he not a cat? <laughs> I mean, he's just eating tuna right out of the little yeah, can. Out of the can. Or like get a little dish for him. Yeah. You know? Well, he put it on a dish. I, but well, I mean, you know, one little fancy like, feast dish. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one of the little yeah, ones on the little, little stem. <laughs> I mean, it's so ridiculous with the tuna fish, and I don't know what at all it does for him. I don't get it, but, you know, hey. Whatever. Whatever. He seems to have a little crush on the uh, cashier at the supermarket, too. Roy, accidentally, <laughs> he ends up knocking his pills down the garbage disposal. And we learned that his meds are illicit and his quote unquote doctor doesn't live here anymore, (laughs) says the man on the phone. (laughs) I think he went back east. Like, oh dear, that's not a licensed medical profession. No, no, no. So Roy freaks out, cleans his home in frustration and anxiety. Frank goes to check on him because it's been several days since he went to quote unquote work. Uh, Roy hyperventilates because Frank wears shoes in the house. He breathes into a paper bag and Frank hooks Roy up with a new assumed legitimate doctor, right. somebody with an office and not just that you call up and call him doctor. Right. Cause he provides you with medication. He looks like a shrink. He yeah. acts like a shrink. Yeah. I mean, he makes him sit down and talk to him. Yeah. Before he gives him any uh, medication. Yes. Dr. Klein. Roy wants pills. Klein insists on chatting. Roy reveals that he's got ticks, suicidal thoughts, fears of dirt and outdoors. He reveals that he was once married and may have a 14-year-old child out there somewhere. Roy tries to call his ex-wife, Heather, whom he may or may not have a child with, and he finds himself unable to talk to her. Like, he can't leave a message. He 
she finally does answer the phone and he just can't talk to her. He just hangs up. So he wrote Dr. Klein into helping him. Dr. Klein says he's going to, he's going to call and he'll let him know. And Heather doesn't want to talk to him, but his 14 year old daughter, Angela does. Yeah. So she'd like to meet. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Cause that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a certain suspend your disbelief about some of the stuff, or as as we might call it, foreshadowing. Ah, yes, a bit, a, a, a bit. bit. Yes, Roy meets Angela, who's engaging in pretty in a park. Roy's uncomfortable there, so they go to a restaurant, and she can tell he's a criminal right through the start. He gives her a ride home. She's like digging through everything. You know, just uh, well, it's kind of what teenagers do. Oh yeah, I mean, just they like snoop. yeah, they just yeah. they snoop. And she totally and snoop. she Multiple finds times. his uh, FTC, his fake FTC badges. So she she says, "Just drop me off here. I don't. Mom doesn't want to see you. Here's my private number because my friends call too late. Mom got it for me for my birthday." So he's really confused, but also kind of happy. Yeah, he he likes her. And is having warm feelings towards her, which is difficult for him. But anyway, so he's feeling a bit better. And he tells Frank that he's up for this long con after all. He goes to a safety deposit box and gets out pounds sterling and American dollars. Mm -hmm. He stands in front of a mirror and tries on glasses and different outfits. He's trying out a role. Yeah. He's, he's creating trying, his character. Yeah, he's trying He's trying to get into it. So he's ready to leave for their first meeting with this Mark. And Angela shows up, says she's had a fight with her mom. And can she stay? And Roy says, well, you, you can stay here alone. I can't stay with you right now. I'll bring you home ice cream later. Mm-hmm. And, and she and, snoops again. And she snoops. And they have the, they have the whole meeting with this Mark, Chuck. And they decide, yes, that they're going to do... The Jamaican swap. Later, Roy is feeling guilty, and at Dr. Klein's behest, Roy confesses his profession to Angela that he's not a, an antique dealer, but he's a con, quote unquote, artist. He's an artist, <laughs> a flim flam man, a matchstick man, a loser. Angela's eating it up. So she loves this and says she wants to learn. They go to a laundromat and scam the scary lady. The <laughs> scary lady. <laughs> Terrifying. Who's not scary in this Not at, at all. all. She's, she's absolutely delightful she's in this. She's dear and sweet, and they've, they scam her with a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And Roy tells her she has to give it back. He says, I told you I'd teach you a con. I didn't say I'd let you get away with it. Which I'm like, oh, he's got a conscience. He does. He does. Roy picks up Angela from summer school. Afterwards, she's outside the building, takes her bowling. And while they're bowling, he gets a call and finds out they've had to move up their scam schedule that... Their mark is leaving for the Cayman Islands, and if they don't do it now, they won't be able to do it. Right. So Roy doesn't even have time to drop Angela off. He ends up getting her involved with it, takes her with him to a safety deposit box. She gets a signature added to a safety deposit box. And while they're 
doing the swap, running the scam. Angela makes the scene as a distraction. Pretty effectively. Pretty effectively. And they end up cheating Chuck out of $80,000. And just as they're about to make it out of the parking lot, Chuck, they realize Chuck is onto them and he chases them and is trying to attack them, trying to get his money back. He's very angry. They manage to get away. Roy and Frank talk and find out that Angela is actually a liability. She'd been arrested for shoplifting, so that makes her a liability. Roy tells Angela she can't be around anymore, and she gives them an ashtray that she had actually bought for him at the airport. Roy's feeling pretty upset about this. He's run out of pills because he takes them frequently. Yeah, more than he should. More than he should, and he goes to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to the pharmacy. And this is a great scene. It's so good. He goes to the pharmacy and he's obviously freaking out. There's a line. He cuts in line and he's loud and combative and angry. And and <laughs> he says, I just need some pills to get me through the weekend till my doctor comes back from out of town. And and he gives the pharmacist, the, you know, the little... The blister pack. Blister pack. Because he has one empty, right? Yeah. So he gives it to him and says, see, I, I am allowed to have these. I don't have a prescription, but I am allowed to have these. There's samples at his office, da 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 And the pharmacist who was and being combative with him and saying, no, I can't do that, looks at it and goes, these are supplements. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, they're prefects. And the pharmacist is like, uh, no. No, they're supplefem, a soy menopausal supplement. It was real at the time. It's since been discontinued. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can't get any supplement then? No. I'm sure there's better supplements Let's now. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> so when Roy meets with Klein, assume after he gets back from being out of town, Klein tells him that his psychosis is small time and that his real problem is his conscience. So Roy meets with Angela and tells her he's going to seek joint custody And he tells Roy that he's out of the game. He's out of the biz because he wants to focus on Angela. He's going to get a real job. And Angela seems touched by this. Roy takes Angela out to dinner at a Mexican restaurant and they dance. And it's very sweet. And they return home and they find Chuck, the man that they cheated in the airport. And Frank, who's injured in Roy's home. Chuck tells him he's not leaving the biz, that he's going to get his money back. Yeah, he's he's going to take half of everything that they earn. He can't quit or else he'll turn Angela in because she's an accessory and she'll have an issue. And, of course, Angela is Roy's kryptonite at this point. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's really desperately trying to keep her safe, and he's trying to de-escalate the situation. Yeah. But he sends Angela... To go get some money out of his dog. Yeah. Can we talk about the dog for just a second? Yeah. I love this little dog he has. Yeah, it's so like a ceramic bulldog and the head twists and pops off. It's like a piggy bank meets a cookie jar. Right, but giant. It looks and like huge. the real size of a bulldog. Yeah, it's huge. And then it barks when you take the head off. Uh-huh. This is absolutely delightful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm watching this. Scene. I would have that in my house. I totally would. And she, you could hear it from the other room that she opens it and it goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah. So she's going to get this money and Angela comes back with a gun. 
that was in the bulldog yes. that we see earlier. Yeah. So we have a suspicion that she's going to grab the gun. When well, he sends I mean, her. like, you know, she's going to have it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's going to grab the gun out. Yeah. Angela's distraught and comes in with this gun and shoots Chuck yep. and Chuck falls down. Angela's even more upset because she just shot somebody. Roy sends Angela and Frank to a motel on the outskirts of town. They're going to run. But first, Roy is going to take Chuck to the quote-unquote hospital. But then we see him get plastic bags. So really, we think he's probably going to dispose of the body. He goes in to check on Chuck or his body, whatever. And he gets hit in the head. Well, and there's no body. There's no body. And And then he gets hit in the head. head. Yep. So Roy wakes up in a hospital handcuffed. There's detectives talking to him. They tell him that Chuck died in the driveway and that's how they found him. And there's stuff going on and they want to know about this. So Roy asks to see his doctor, Klein, and gives Klein the passcode to the safety deposit box for Angela. Yeah. And Angela had the... She had a signature card. Right. But he told her, you get the passcode when I die. Right. And so... Yeah. And so he was pretty sure he was going to die or go to jail. So he wanted her to have access to this Mm -hmm. money. Roy falls back asleep when he wakes up later. It's really hot in this hospital room. And it's not really a hospital room. No. It was a ruse to get the passcode for the safety deposit box the whole time. This reminded me of... A movie called The Game, starring Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it was so good. But that happens. He wakes up in a fake hospital. Right. At one point. We start hearing Frank read Roy a letter. Yeah. That Roy finds inside the bulldog at his home. Mm-hmm. And Frank said, you taught me. You're the best. You told me to never pass up the big score, and you were the big score I could never pass up. There was a million dollars plus in that safety deposit box, and it's gone except for a slim few bills that were in there. A parting gift. Yeah. So who was in on it? Frank. He was the mastermind. Klein, not a real doctor. His office is empty. Chuck was in on it from the start. Angela was never his daughter. Roy finally goes and meets Heather and she confirms and admits that she doesn't know who Angela is and had a miscarriage. There was never a baby. Heartbreaking. And a year later, Roy is working in a carpet store and quote unquote, Angela comes in with her boyfriend. She looks much older. Mm -hmm. She's not 14. Roy and Angela get a moment to chat alone. She also got cheated by Frank and evidently they don't have any hard feelings towards each other, which is a little surprising, but okay. And Angela asks, wouldn't you like to know my real name? And Roy doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know. He wants to uh, live with the thought that she's his daughter. And kind of her too, because she says, okay, bye dad. You know, like, there was, they indicate kind of that in that process, they both might have had a bit of an epiphany that that was nice. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. And but their maybe, relationship, based on a lie, was still yeah. nice. They still had an affinity for one another. Roy goes home to a di- uh, table, dinner table set for two, and 
who is there but the pretty cashier Kathy, and she's legitimately pregnant. Yep. So that was the end. And that was the end. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome, travelers, to the mundane and the arcane, a 5e D&D podcast. I'm Matt, the Dungeon Master, for our new campaign. Uh, I'm Deacon Bishop, and uh, I like to party. I'm Grognag Vegan Smith, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm Zenko, and I cast Guiding Light. Come join our party as they explore the river town of Tristolin, fight threats like magical crabs, and rob stores such as Bards and Nobles. We release bi-weekly. Now everyone, I'd like you to roll initiative. Alright, so what did you think of this movie? Because you are a big guesser of movies. If you listen to our bonus episode from last week, you'll know that Jackie frequently guesses the ends of movies. That she can usually guess what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, and this one, I really tried hard not to. Okay. I tried hard not to. Because, A, it's a con artist movie, and so you do have to keep your mind open, and, and if you're going to enjoy it, you kind of have to let the con unfold, right? Right. Um, so I really tried hard not to, but the foreshadowing was pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. It was pretty heavy. Yeah. So it was hard not to realize that something was amiss. Yeah, something was amiss, but did you know he was being conned? I mean, that's what it felt like. Oh, really? A little bit. Okay. I don't think I nailed it down early. Okay. Um, because I really tried to not think about it. I really tried to convince myself that, like, the con started, like, halfway in the movie. Oh. And tried to ignore the fact that it started from the beginning. Yeah. But you just can't. You just can't. It's just too easy. I, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the second the doctor's like, I'll call her. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Too much. Too much. Is somebody studying psychology, this is something that you would do? Uh, this is something I would not do. If a client asked me to call <laughs> their family member and talk to them for No, sir. No, you gotta call so, yourself. So, you know, you gotta call yourself. Anyway, I, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, but I... I did like it, but I didn't like the ending. Oh, really? You didn't like the twist, or you didn't like the meeting in the uh, carpet store? Uh, both. Oh, okay. I wanted the twist to be a double twist. Oh. I wanted I wanted Roy to be smarter. Oh. I wanted him to have figured it out at some point, mm-hmm. and then and then got the drop on them. Oh. I wanted him to know earlier. And, okay. and he just didn't. And right. that was really sad. Um, okay. <laughs> so I just wanted that. I wanted right. the double. Um, but it just wasn't there. And so that was like a little disappointing, you know, that the whole thing was a, a con and he didn't he pick didn't up get on it. anything. Yeah. Uh, Since he was um, supposed to be this fantastic con artist. So, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I did not like the meeting between them at all. Oh, really? At all. Oh, I kind of thought it was interesting to not play it angry. Yeah. I th- I thought it was an interesting choice. I don't know what I wanted, but I... That was not it? <laughs> that was not it. That was not it. Okay. I, I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> this was based on a book of the same name by Eric Garcia, and it was optioned by Nicolas Cage and his screenwriter, Nicholas Griffin, prior to publication even of the book. Wow. So... Yeah. <laughs> what did Roger Ebert think? My favorite. I always what? have to look. He Love loved it. it. He, did he really? He loved this movie. Four out of four stars. He thought that there was going to be an Oscar nomination for Cage, and there was not even one for the movie. 
He says he has a rage, a kind of raging zeal that possesses his characters. What in another actor would be overacting with Cage is kind of fearsome intensity. Here's an Oscar nomination for him, which didn't happen. Well, and I have to agree because I thought Nick was amazing. Yes. Yes. His portrayal of the OCD, of the, you know, severe anxiety and the fears and all of these sort of things was amazing. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it was very believable and it could have easily played over the top and did not. Yeah. Yep. Only he could do that. Yep. Well, and he liked the one year later ending. This is a scene that could have gone terribly wrong, spoiled by being too obvious, sentimental, angry, or tricky. Ridley Scott and his players know just how to handle it. They depend on who these characters really are. So I thought the acting was great. Oh, absolutely. I just wasn't overwhelmed by the ending. I didn't feel like it was a great conclusion, but I thought it was well done nonetheless. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. The Washington Post had a little bit of an issue with it. They really liked the movie, but they said the performance by Nick Cage as Roy, an an obsessive, compulsive con artist, so germaphobic, neurotic, and imbalanced that he makes Michael Jackson look like a Zen master. (laughs) Therein lies the problem. Obviously, this was written prior to Michael Jackson's (laughs) death, who was a very famously... A bit of a germaphobe. Right. Basically, what they go on to say is that he was so controlling that he probably wouldn't have made a good con man. That his, that he was so like germaphobic and scared and had the agoraphobic reaction at the home that he wouldn't have been able to deal with the unknowns that come along with running a con like that well enough to be able to do it well. But they say it's less a measure of how good Roy is than how good Cage is. So that, yeah, that it's not that Roy is really good at it. It's that Nicholas Cage acted it well enough that made it, he made it believable. Well, I think that, uh, I think the Washington Post here got conned because see the movie deals with it. So Klein is a fake counselor, right? Gives him supplements. Right. Not actual medication. And Roy does get better. Mm-hmm. Placebo effect is no joke. That's for sure. We're going to talk about that in a minute. However, they, he can't be as neurotic as they say he is if he was to respond so well to a bit of counseling and supplements posing as medication. Right. So it does speak to the fact that the issues maybe are less uh, intrinsically internal mm-hmm. As much as a... Yeah, a symptom of something else. Yeah, more cognitive. And so, um, you know, it's interesting because I think I thought the movie actually dealt with that issue because that was the first oh. thing I thought too. It was like, yeah. come on, he's got to be struggling to function. But I also know that these con men, they get such a rush by playing somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's when they actually can put it aside. Well, so like, I, I, I gave it some time with that. And then when I saw the placebo effects and all of that, I was like, they dealt with that issue actually very well. That's, that's a good observation i i don't know that i would have come there i could see both sides of it yeah i could see it being like suspend your disbelief and yeah okay maybe he in real life couldn't have done this but it's a movie it's not real life true yeah (laughs) but you bring up a good point that it was less uh of an actual disorder and i I hate to say that because i never want to dismiss somebody's functioning right but maybe the point that he suffers at home in a way that's obviously worse than he suffers in public, but 
I, I, maybe the origins of it are such that they can be treated better than maybe somebody else who has oh, OCD. Okay. So he's able to function in a way that maybe other people who had it Cannot. would not be able to. Right. Okay. <laughs> Indie Wire said, had an article called Matchstick Men isn't the movie Nicolas Cage will be remembered for, but it's the movie that made him impossible to forget. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's good. It holds an interesting place that it came out at a sweet spot in Nicolas Cage's career. He had just come off of an Oscar-nominated role in Adaptation, and it was before what they call the direct-to-VOD, video-on-demand, schlockfest. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what are they talking about? So I had to look this up. What was that word again? The schlockfest. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Good word. Wow. Well done. Okay, so Nicolas Cage <laughs> is not only a character on screen, he's a character in real life. He blew through a $150 million fortune and then started making direct-to-video movies in order to fund himself, which uh, that's fine, but evidently he makes... A lot of them, and they're not particularly critically acclaimed. <laughs> Evidently, he started doing this in 2011 in a movie called Trespassing mm-hmm. that was direct-to-video. Would you like to guess who else it's also starring? Nicole Kidman. What? Yes! Like, there are some big names in these direct-to-video movies with him. Wow. Yeah, it's a little shocking. Matchstick Men may not be the movie... For which Cage is remembered, but nothing he's ever done has better distilled what makes him so hard to forget. I was like, that's totally fair. Absolutely. Like the crazy, like literally seeming mentally ill, Mm -hmm. but also charming and aggravating, but lovable. The ability to be so consistent with his character's, uh, Ticks and things. Mm-hmm. He, the character is so him. It's so consistent. There's an infinite number of gradients in Cage's performance. He's always acting with his whole face, but a face is an active battlefield between the man Roy is and the man he wants to be. I was like, that's really good. Yeah, they nailed that on the head. Yeah, because in the scene in the pharmacy, you know, when he's freaking out and yeah. he like cuts in front, and they're all like, "I heard an old line, buddy," and he turns around and like just lets this guy have it and it's like all this and then the the pharmacist takes his little you know blister pack and so he starts to calm down like okay everything's gonna be fine he goes okay i'm sorry i'm sorry and then he turns around to the guy i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah like all of a sudden he's like that's not what i want to do yes i'm just in a i'm in a position here i'm in a bad place and like the guy in line kind of is like Okay. <laughs> I thought, well, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he turned around and apologized, and then you can obviously, I mean, me, I'd be like, all right, and off, off the rocker, man, go ahead. Yeah. You know what? I don't need my thing that quickly. I don't know what you're capable of. Just, just, just go on. Yeah. Yeah. Life lesson. Yeah. Let that guy cut in line. Yeah. All right, now, the can it happen? Can it happen like can this? Can it happen? So, prize scams. They're common, and they can be so shockingly difficult to tell from legitimate sweepstakes at times. So, what we're saying here is that there are such things as um, legitimate sweepstakes. 
there, <laughs> there are, though, even legitimate sweepstakes, what they're doing is they're trying to get your information. Right. They're still selling your information. They're either selling your information or they're going to try and come back later and sell you something else. Yeah. Like, no, they're all. Okay. There, some of them have actual prices. Well, that's true. But you're still going to pay for it. Right. <laughs> Pro- probably. <laughs> so the FTC's website has some tips on how to tell if it's a scam. Now, legitimate sweepstakes is going to be completely free to you. You're going to it's going to be completely random. They're going to tell you your odds of winning. They can't tell you that you've won a prize unless you've actually won a prize. Now, the prizes could be a $2 bill you know, or a $1 bill. Those are things like often you'll get car mailers from dealerships and stuff. And they have to legitimately give you something if you go in to claim your prize. And very often it's a small thing, a low dollar item, a $2 bill, something, something like that. Those are legitimate. But what they're trying to get you to do is come in and buy a car. Right. And and actually, I have to say, most of those are pretty legitimate about, yeah. here, here's a prize, now come to see us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know what you're getting into. Right. Exactly. You know that they're going to try and get they're you to... just sweeten in the pot. Come yeah. see us. Yeah. Come see us. And you know, they know most people aren't going to come in mm-hmm. for it. If you're dealing with a scam, you have to pay something. Mm-hmm. You had to pay to get the water filtration system in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, if you have to wire money anywhere... If you have to deposit a check that they've sent you and then send them money back, don't ever do that. Please don't ever do that. If they told you they're from the government or another organization that sounds official. So the people whose home that they went to should have known that they were pulling a scam because the FTC doesn't oversee sweepstakes And no federal government agency or legitimate sweepstakes company will contact you to ask for money so that you can claim a prize. Mm -hmm. They're not going to send agents to your house from the FTC. Oh, no. 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 Uh, If your notice that you've won a prize was mailed bulk rate, you've not won a prize. In fact, if you want to make your whole mail sorting activity shorter, check the stamp first. Bulk rate, trash, bulk rate, trash, bulk rate, trash. Right. First class or nothing, baby. Yeah, exactly. I do not pay attention. If they didn't spend 50 cents to send it to me, then I... Yeah. 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 Maybe maybe bulk rate, like, you know, coupons every once in a while. Oh, that's fine. Maybe that. But if it's in an envelope and it's got bulk rate and it's like final notice or confidential or toss, toss it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. If you have to attend a sales meeting... In order to, quote unquote, win your prize or claim your prize, they're trying to sell you a timeshare. Right. Just know that. You can you get may, a nice weekend out of that. You you can, but you got to sit through four hours of yeah hard sell. Oh, it's hard sell. It's a hard So, hard okay, sell. can I make a confession? Yeah. We used to do this. Yeah. My husband and I. So, he was active duty, yeah. right? Uh, and so I don't know if you know this, but um, actually do either you have a timeshare as part of being military, right? They have, you know, the armed forces vacation club and it operates kind of like a timeshare yeah. and it is actually that same network. Okay. So very easy. You go in there. 
Well, so we'd get these little solicitations and if it was like within driving distance and, and you know, we could have some fun. And so uh, we did a few times and we'd go, one was like a weekend in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Another one was like, I don't know, in the, somewhere in upstate New York or whatever. Anyway, just some really fun places to go. And because we, we knew we had a quick out because they're not going to waste their time on us. So we'd go through the little tour to see it because that's always fun. You yeah. Know, see, oh, yeah. See the whole like it's resort like going to or see whatever. houses, even if you're not buying. Exactly. House. It's just yeah. kind of fun. And then we get there and they talk about it and we go, well, we're, we're air force. So I think we'll just continue to stick with that. And they know right off. It's the same network. Yeah. We're not going to sell you on that when you get it free. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we kind of scammed the scammers. And so we got out. You. It took us 45 minutes. Oh, <laughs> nice. See ya. Nice. <laughs> I, I have no problem with that. That's why I didn't feel so bad for Roy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if they call you out of the blue, you didn't give anybody your number because you signed up for a sweepstakes of some kind, you probably didn't really win. No. No. When Frank goes into Roy's house right after he's cleaned it, Roy freaks out because... Frank is walking on his white carpet in his shoes and Roy breathes into a paper bag. And I was like, okay, you see this all the time. You do see it you all the time. And I'm like, should you really breathe into a paper it bag? It sounds like a bad idea to me. Well, it probably is. So it can legitimately help if you're having a panic attack because you're, you, when you start to hyperventilate, you end up with too much oxygen and if you don't have enough carbon dioxide in your blood it can mess with your bodily functions if you're hyperventilating and your body freaks out you'll pass out and you'll breathe normally and then you'll be fine i mean passing out's not ideal but if you know that it's likely to happen you can sit down right but if you (laughs) breathe into the bag i guess it increases your co2 yes and yeah, you're rebreathing the same air. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's more concentrated CO2. Calms yeah, it down. Cal- calms it all down, restores your pH balance in your body. So it is actually sort of legit. It is, but doctors don't recommend it because it can be difficult to tell sometimes what is actually causing you to hyperventilate. Is it a panic attack? If it's a panic attack, breathing into a paper bag is probably fine. But if you're having a panic attack because you're having a medical crisis and maybe you don't realize it. So if you're having a heart attack Mm -hmm. or an asthma Asthma. attack, breathing into a paper bag can kill you. Hmm. So they don't suggest it. Interesting. Yeah. My question is, who who are these people who have paper bags so readily available? I, I don't know. I couldn't find a paper bag in my <laughs> house like that to save my life. I probably could, but by the time I found the paper, but by the time I got it out of the pantry at the back of the pantry where it's behind a bunch of other stuff because we use it for like field trips. Yeah, that's every it. once in a while. Yeah. I mean, I think I've had the same bag of 50 brown paper bags in my pantry since we moved into this house like eight years ago. Right. I mean, I just never have them anywhere. Yeah. I'll I take that back. In my old house, I did know exactly where they were and they were fairly accessible, but it was the same pack I'd had for, yeah. I don't know, up to years. Yeah. But when we moved, it was like, I haven't touched this in forever. Toss it. Yeah. So, yeah. Not anymore. They, they can take their lunch in a Walmart bag if they need Seriously. it for us. <laughs> Seriously. 
So, yeah, don't do it. So then they said they were going to pull the Jamaican switch on Chuck. So I was like, what is the Jamaican switch? So it doesn't typically happen the way they did. So what they did was they had two identical briefcases. One had a bunch of pounds sterling in it. And one had newspaper in it to give them the same weight so Mm -hmm. they felt the same. And so Chuck brought a bag of $80,000 cash and was supposed to trade it out for the pound sterling. He would get uh, the exchange rate and make a bunch of money on it. So he's being greedy. Mm -hmm. Roy takes the briefcase with the $80,000 in it. And while Angela's making the, distraction he switches it with one that he's hidden that's got just the paper in it so it's the right weight but doesn't actually have anything in it it's similar they call it the jamaican switch it's also called the pigeon drop that's i think what we normally hear no i'd never really heard of either so usually a scammer will approach a stranger in a public place and ask for help say they have this large sum of money and they need assistance and they'll be willing to pay you for it Somebody else who pretends they don't know them at all will say, you should put that money in the bank. You shouldn't, you shouldn't like give it to somebody. You should put it in the bank. And so they get the victim to go and make a withdrawal in good faith to show that banks are honest and that they'll trade it out with you because they're, they don't have time to deal with it. And what they do is they switch the bags Mm -hmm. and, you, they leave with the money they had and the good faith money you gave them and you're left handing a bag of newspaper. Right. Yeah. If you want to see a great episode about this, go watch The Golden Girls. There's a fantastic episode where Sophia and Blanche get scammed <laughs> with a pigeon drop. Oh. And in that case, they're in the mall. Uh-huh. And they find, and this guy like comes near him and reaches behind him and says, oh, did you drop your wallet? And it turns out there's like $500 cash in it. And, and so then Sophia's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to split that. You know, we, we found that. And he's like, well, no, you didn't. But, but okay, why not? You know, we'll split it. And, you know, and, <laughs> and then they were like, well, we should wait an amount of time because, you know, what if the person comes back? We should only claim it if it's unclaimed, right? Right. So they find this nun. And they're like, what do we should we do with this money? Because if we want to hold it. And so, um, anyways, all that to say that they end up with the same situation. They're going to go, okay, you put a little money, we'll put a little money and the unclaimed money into a bank account jointly, make a little interest, and then we'll all withdraw half and, you know, et cetera. And so they kind of, and then they deposit their, you know, newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And it's an absolute hoot to watch. I bet so. I'm going to have to check that one out. (laughs) How can you avoid being a victim of a pigeon drop? Don't give up money to strangers and don't expect something for nothing. Right? <laughs> Pretty simple. So let's have our psychology break. I'm sure you'll have lots to tell us. Obsessive compulsive disorder. That's the first thing we see from Roy. That's the first thing we see. Uh, so what is it? It's common, chronic, long-lasting, where people have uncontrollable, reoccurring thoughts, obsessions, or behaviors and or behaviors, compulsions that they need to repeat over and over. So some of the things we saw in Roy were fear of germs, needing things to be in perfect order, excessive cleaning or hand washing, repeatedly checking on things, 
Is the door locked? Is the oven off? Things like that. Compulsive counting, which right. he did in various language. Right. He, he always had to do it three times. Yeah. Um, you he know, would wink three times. Yeah. And he had yeah. a little bit of a tick with that, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. The yeah. OCD, he kind of portrayed it pretty well. Did he? Oh, that's good. Pretty well. I mean, he's a little, you know, animated in general, but yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, OCD is typically treated with medication, psychotherapy, or a combination of the two, which we all saw. So that was pretty accurate. But um, we're led to believe that Roy doesn't really have OCD, that it's caused by stress. But you know what doesn't cause OCD? What? Stress. (laughs) OCD can exhibit more strongly or for the first time after severe trauma which is a stressful event, but it you have to have a predisposition to it. Right. Yeah. Stress can be a trigger. Right. You know, if you, but well, but that's a trigger for anybody. Anybody with anything, stress can make it worse. So, you know, but it, it doesn't. But you, but just because you're in a stressful environment doesn't mean that you'll get OCD. If you're, right. you have a propensity towards OCD, then stress can bring it on, but it doesn't cause it. Right. It can be a trigger. Right. So the same with illness in childhood or adulthood, your parenting style of parents um, or families being accommodating. They don't cause OCD. Nope. But it can uh, enable it. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this before. It's most of these kind of disorders are are a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to have a predisposition naturally, like genetically. Right. Then you encounter something environmentally. Um, and then those two things can, you know, so it's possible you could have a propensity for it and yet never encounter a situation that kind of brings it out. Um, unlikely. Life is hard. The chances of you missing that thing... <laughs> But nevertheless, but you could go through some really, really hard times. And if you're not predisposed to that, you really won't encounter that. Um, And OCD, what we're talking about here is the actual diagnosis OCD. Right. Not what people tend to say. Oh, yeah. No, because people use it as like shorthand for being clean. Yeah. You know, which I have a, can I just say I have an uber pet peeve. Okay. Like you want to talk about appropriation? Stop appropriating people's mental illness. So that you can seem more dramatic yeah. about things that you absolutely have control over. Right. It's an insult to those people who actually deal with this. Yeah. I like things straight. Great. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a preference. It's not a mental illness. Thank you. Like, yeah. stop doing it. You know, <laughs> the OCD thing. Oh, I just, I actually yeah. get mad about it. Really? I'll unfollow somebody. Like mm-hmm. on Facebook, if they're like talking about their OCD, I will straight up unfollow them. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because it's it's like a serious issue to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as a psychology student, yes, it I seems so. like yeah. But I think it's just a, it's a matter of kindness. Yeah, it's a matter of kindness uh, to not just diminish the yes placebos. <laughs> you mentioned placebos. it before. I am a fan of good placebos. Okay, so somebody did a systematic review of meta-analysis about the effectiveness of placebos. And I just thought I'd talk quickly about what they found. So they said in trials with binary outcomes, you're cured or you're not cured, actual medication did better. Definitely. Because a placebo isn't going to cure your strep throat. 
a, a placebo is going to do what happened to me several years ago when I had never had strep throat before. And so I thought I had something else and I thought I had a virus and I was waiting it out. And then I got a rash and I went to the doctor and they're like, why didn't you come in sooner? You have strep throat and now it's scarlet fever. Here's your 19th century murderous disease that you get to have in 2011. (laughs) I had scarlet fever as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah. Did they not realize it was strep or did they just... No, they just, I just, I don't know how I got You're it. You just, it just, it just it got, it I was developed a quickly. Almost, yeah. oh, okay. I was very small. Well, and that can happen. It can develop quickly. So quickly. It didn't, it didn't develop quickly in me. I just didn't know it was strep throat because I'd never had strep throat before. Yeah. As an adult. And I thought it was just, I had the flu or something stupid. And <laughs> you know what wasn't going to cure my strep throat? A placebo. No, it but was not. when they, when you have continuous outcomes which is outcomes that are less black and white. Right. Like, are we uh, showing improvements? Right. Quality of life has improved. Yep. These sort of things. It's more on a, on a, you know, spectrum. Yes. So on that, they said when they, when all the criteria for reducing bias were ruled out, placebos were more effective than treatments because, you know, treatments have side effects and placebos typically do not. They don't have side effects. <laughs> so, yeah, it, yeah. There's, there's a, a strong case for some placebo effect out there. I mean, if you have such an impact, some things are, like for instance, if you have really disabling kind of OCD or anxiety, um, so you might do well with like a little medicine and a little placebo. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh-huh. you, you do have something in you that can be helped. The right. imbalance can be helped. You, you can give your body a little boost in order to help overcome some things. Um, but then you can kind of, yeah. You yeah. Have, okay. So you don't typically go to the doctor and get a placebo. They don't give you placebos as a prescription. Typically. Well, that would not be that would because the purpose. Well, okay. So there's really interesting research about this. And I was thinking about this and far be it for me to send you to another podcast, but Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedantam is excellent. And they had a, an entire episode about placebos. And it was so fascinating because if you're in a trial, you expect that there's going to be placebo somewhere. You don't know whether you've gotten it or not. Most doctors won't use it, won't tell you that they're going to give you something and then give you a placebo because that's lying to you. They don't want to lie to you. And they always thought that telling you that they were giving you a placebo defeated the purpose. It actually doesn't in a lot of cases. So there's this whole episode about this. It's just, it's fascinating. This lady had IBS and it was like debilitating really bad. And they gave her a placebo and told her it was a placebo. (laughs) And she got better. And when she stopped taking the placebo, she got worse. And even though she knew it was a placebo, it helped her. And she was able to get the doctor to continue to give her the placebo medication so that she could feel better. So are they saying that, that they've done not just a case study, but they've actually done some studies that show that this is Yes, they did studies because they wanted to know whether it was the deception or the act of taking a pill that made you feel better. 
And so they decided to study taking out the deception and found that for some people it was legitimately helpful. It's fascinating. I, yeah. I really should listen to it because okay. it's am- amazing. So yeah, you I don't see the numbers on you that. You don't have to necessarily be deceived to have a placebo be helpful. I'm not, I don't believe you yet. Okay. I have well, to see the numbers. Okay. Well, because to say some people, that's probably legitimately true. Enough that it makes a significant difference. I got to know. Uh, well, it was uh, Ted Kapchuk who did this research and he said, everyone believed that deception or concealment is necessary for people to respond to a placebo because the idea was you fake people, you trick them. I sat with myself for a long time. I read the literature and I said, you know what? No one's tested that ever in history. What's going on here? Yeah, I know. I love the, I love the uh, yeah. proposal. Well, and that's I just what, wonder what the numbers say. Well, and that's what this one was from 2013 that they, that they found when you pulled out the deception that it was. Mm, they just didn't pull as, out deception. Oh, here. no, they didn't. You're they right. didn't pull out deception. All they did was control for the bias. Real life scams. Ugh. Let's talk about some of them. Well, we're going to talk about good ones, funny ones, ish ones ish they were a while ago or it's been long enough to laugh uh, at it maybe (laughs) yeah so george parker he sold the brooklyn bridge oh that's that guy (laughs) he didn't just sell it once either he sold it a whole bunch of times so he he would go and approach people and say that he owns the bridge and that he wanted to set it up as a toll road but really what he wanted to do was go build bridges other places and didn't want to deal with setting up a toll booth. So he would sell the bridge anywhere from $50 to $50,000. It looked legitimate. He would give them paperwork and then they'd go try and set up a toll booth and the police would come and say, this is a publicly owned bridge. Get out of here. And of course they paid in cash and they were out the money. So you're thinking, well, how, how many times could he do this? He set up a fake office complete with forged documents. People were typically so embarrassed that they didn't pursue it. And he sold the bridge on a weekly basis for decades. No. Yes. No. What a scam. What a scam is right. I mean, it's amazing. And hence the cliche, I wish I had a bridge to sell you. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so then there's one. This wasn't actually a scam. It was more like working the system. So there's a man named David Phillips, and he ran what they called the pudding scheme. In 1999, Healthy Choice put out a promotion where you could earn a 1,000 airline miles for every 10 product barcodes that you sent into an organization. Okay. So now that part was legitimate. Well, all of it's legitimate. He just worked the system. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He was a a smart professional guy and he saw this and he thought, good deal. I'd like some airline miles. I'd like to travel for a small amount of money. So what did he do? He went and figured out what the cheapest healthy choice product he could buy was and he found a discount grocery store selling pudding cups for 25 cents a piece (laughs) genius he could get a thousand airline miles for two dollars and fifty cents oh my gosh he spent 
$3,140 on pudding cups so that he could send them in. And he got 1.2 million airline miles with a value of $150,000. See, now that is just genius. It's genius. It's okay. just genius. It gets even better because pulling the barcodes off was a real chore. Yeah. I mean. He worked for it. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no. He contacted the Salvation Army and said, if they'll pull off all of the barcodes for me, I'll donate the, all the pudding to your organization. So they did. And he got he got a tax deduction <gasps> for it and earned $800 because he donated all the pudding to the Salvation Army because they pulled off all the barcodes for him. No, he didn't. <laughs> you know what? That just Jeez. deserves a slow clap for the yes. day. Yes. Yes. David wow. Phillips, he wins. He wins. He wins. And it wasn't really a scheme. It wasn't really a scheme. But it is a scheme. It's a scheme. It's a bit of a scheme. So, I, it was too funny. What's the difference between that? a scheme and a scam? I mean, I a feel the difference. It's like stealing from it, and a scheme is more like working the system. Okay. I, I like that. Yeah. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. I just didn't know if there was like yeah. a legitimate difference between well, the two. Well, and you can rest assured, no one's running that kind of... Oh, for sure. They have a lot more rules about those those kinds of promotions. That's the the one negative. (laughs) That's the one negative, Mr. Phillips, because now we have fine print that goes on for days. Okay. Speaking of companies doing gamming or working the system, sort of, I thought this one was really funny. So one of the biggest con scams of 2018 was the marketing team for Payless Mm. (laughs) is that they set up like a pop-up luxury brand somewhere. This was the best commercial ever. It was so funny. And they called it Palessi and made it look like super fancy and it was pop-up and they invited a bunch of influencers to come and check out their shoes and buy them and they bought them at 600% of the retail price because they called them a luxury brand. And they set up a just, luxury store. Yeah. Yeah. They were just pay less shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all talking about the shoes, about how the quality is just so amazing. Uh-huh. They can't wait for this. And the you know, styles are so cute. And yeah, this was, if you haven't seen this, you've got to go look at this video. It's so funny. Yes. Yes, it was really funny and, you know, it worked really well. Unfortunately, Payless is still going out of business. But in 2018, their marketing department gave it everything they had. They to really try, did. To try that, and they really like, did. Really they they threw a Tom Brady pass. They yes. just didn't have a receiver. Yeah. So there's several times when Roy says uh, pygmies. Yes. As sort of like a fake curse. And so I've wanted to look into that a little bit more. It's called a minced oath. When you have a fake curse word, it's a euphemistic expression that's by misspelling or mispronouncing or replacing part of a profane or blasphemous or taboo term to something less objectionable, which they can still be objectionable, but... You can use rhyme or alliteration. Sometimes you borrow words from other languages. So I thought, eh. and some people still find them offensive. They're, they they have some office safe swear words. 
even if your intent is the same, yeah. sometimes people get so. Well, yeah, I it's remember, a little crass. So you yeah, want to you yeah, soften you, it up like, a little bit. Well, and for a while, even now, but especially when my kids were littler and you don't want them repeating certain things, I would, like, if something would shock me, I'd say, good night. You know, oh, yeah. it was just like an exclamation that was okay if they repeated it. Right. It didn't bother me. So <laughs> they, I found a, a list of some funny ones that I thought were great. So <laughs> creatively altered. My favorite one from that was sugar honey iced tea. <laughs> awesome. Uh-huh. And then you get some from television shows like Sucker and Succotash. <laughs> Movies or television shows, Zoinks oh, from Scooby Doo, yeah, Merlin's Beard from Harry Potter. Uh, oh, from Elf. <laughs> I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <laughs> <laughs> Food swears. Where in the fig Newtons am I? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you know, shut the front door. Oh yeah, shut yeah. the front door. Those those were just a few. There's a ton. I'll oh, there's post, a ton of them. I'll post that on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. Or you can send me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. So that was fun. I, there's, you know, I mean, the, I thought the movie, it was certainly far and away better than Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, just light years. There was, there was... There was a lot to like in it. Maybe a few little like suspend your disbelief moments or just try not to get caught up in the minutia of it. It's you a little know. bit more of a relational story than you expect. Yes. And so if you go into it with that, you'll be a little less, uh, yeah. with the Cause... little bit lack of twist at the end. Right. Yeah. But next time. Next time. Next time we return to our summer blockbuster, National Treasure. Such a good movie. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. I, I have seen this movie so much. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, well, good. Well, I can't wait to dive in and check that out. So join us next time for that. Do watch National Treasure or just, you know, replay it in your mind or read a recap if you've seen it. I, I don't think I've seen this movie, so... Well, I hope I haven't overplayed it for you. I hope you enjoy it. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be better than Gone in 60 oh, Seconds, well, right? Anything is better than that. <laughs> Almost anything is better Almost than that. Anything. All right, thanks for spending your time with us today. We know that you have a choice when you listen, that you're making an active choice to listen to us. We don't just come on the radio, and we do appreciate you taking the time. So we'll... Be back with you soon. Okay, see you next time. Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.